Hello and welcome to Sex Ed for Sex Med, a podcast produced by the Ohio Sexual Health Collaborative for medical providers caring for women. However, women experiencing sexual difficulties and are looking to increase their knowledge of sexual health care are also encouraged to listen. I'm your host, Dr. Terry Gibbs, and together with my rotating medical experts, we will be providing evidence-based fundamental and advanced concepts for evaluating, educating, and empowering women with sexual concerns. We'll be addressing physical, mental, and sexual health wellness, as all of these aspects are important to enjoying a healthy sexual life. Today, we are talking to Dr. Natalie Walka. She's a physician assistant in a gynecologic oncology office in Toledo, Ohio. She has her doctorate in sexual health education and is a Ishwish fellow and has a certification of practice in gerontology. She will be continuing our discussion about sexual pain. She will discuss sexual pain as it relates to gynecologic surgery, including cancer. Please enjoy our conversation with Dr. Natalie Walker. Really appreciate Natalie joining us today. And we're going to talk about, again, sexual pain. And thank you, Natalie, for taking your time today to join us. Thank you for having me. And you certainly bring a very unique perspective to this subject. You, you work as a physician assistant, as we've already said, in a gynecologic oncology office, but you have a PhD in, in sexual medicine as it pertains to, to cancer. And so it's, you have a very unique perspective. And the first question I wanted to, to bring up is, you know, why do you think asking every patient about sexual health is important? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's one of these things that has been overlooked for quite some time. You know, when we look at data of patients reporting what's important to them, sexual health is something that frequently comes up as being a quality of life indicator. And so I think if we just exclude that part of somebody's overall health, it's like excluding any other part of their health, mental health or financial health or any of these other things. And so quality of life is very important. I would say, especially from my perspective in working with cancer survivors, a lot of people will even prioritize quality of life over longevity. And so therefore, if we're really focusing on quality of life, sexual health needs to be part of that conversation. That's great. That's, that's what everybody's been finding. I think you, you voice the same and it must be true. Now, let me ask, what are the problems in your, in the context of what you do, what are the problems you've seen in women who've had gynecologic surgery that cause them to have sexual pain? So the really cool thing in gynecology oncology right now is that we are getting much better about early diagnosis, treatment, and either cure or being able to, to live longer with a cancer. So right now there's over a million women in the U.S. that are living with a gynecological cancer. So when we look at that, that's a million women that have Majority of them have had surgery of some kind. That's usually for most gynecological cancers. The, the first step is, is surgery. So when we look at surgery, you know, usually it's going to be removal of some sort of organs, whether it's going to be uterus, ovaries, fallopian tubes, part of the vagina, vulva, 
all of that has different impacts for women across the board. So besides just the physiological removal of organs and what that plays into, whether it be removal of the ovaries and putting people into early menopause and all of the fallout that has hormonally, it also impacts women and how they perceive themselves. I see that it has a big impact on their body image. A lot of women associate those kinds of organs with being a woman and, you know, having the ability to conceive and having libido and feeling sexy and all those things. And when we take the, that area and turn it into a medical problem and potentially cause pain and cause hormonal problems, it becomes a significant issue for women to have to work with down the road to help change their identity of who they are and how they see themselves as a sexual being and as a woman in general. So when you think of there's that many women that have been affected in some way, it is actually quite tremendous. And when we ask women, you know, these 1 million women, about 90% of them will say that they've had some significant impact in their sexual health because of surgery and or other adjuvant treatment that we've had to do. So that's a lot of women and that's a lot of people that are probably desperate for help, but potentially not asking for it. Where does their pain come from? Pain can be multifactorial. So, you know, when we assess pain, we tend to start from the outside in to make sure is it outside in the vulva area? Of course, if they had vulvar surgery, there can be scar tissue there. There can be injury to nerves. They can end up with burning pain from nerve injury. The introitus is a common place that there's pain right with initial penetration of intercourse. The vagina is often shortened with surgery. So sometimes we can have problems with deep penetration because there's just not that lengthening. The tissue itself can change and is not as pliable. There can be some tears, fissure formation. Then in the pelvis, there can be adhesions forming from surgery. There can be complications from surgery with seromas or even just from where disease has maybe implanted that there's just scar tissue formation. So there's unfortunately a, a wide variety of, of potential for pain, which is why I think we see it so commonly. And also being menopausal, a lot of these women I'm sure are, have dryness in the vagina with some, especially in light of the uh, sexual, uh, the cancers in, in sex. What, what are some of the things you do for these problems? So the hormonal issues for sure, a big one. We see that even our women who were postmenopausal when we did surgery, a lot of them already were at risk for um, general urinary syndrome and menopause. And that just means that the tissue itself has thinned a little bit, but it's not just vaginal tissue, it's the whole vulvar. It includes the, the bladder, the urethra. You know, about 50% of postmenopausal women have that period. And then usually we either we remove ovaries and put them in menopause or we do adjuvant treatment that then also blocks any estrogen and we can make that problem much, much worse. So then we get into the whole conversation about what do we do about that problem for cancer survivors? And I think this is a really difficult topic because traditionally, I think most providers have been really hesitant to talk about any sort of hormone therapy for gynecological cancer survivors, just for fear of cancer recurrence and things like that. You know, when we look at that, the first thing we always do is we try our non-hormonal options first. 
So we would try vaginal lubricants with intercourse every time, vaginal moisturizers. We have a lot of really good options out with those. Um, those we recommend three to four times a week. Vibration actually helps to increase blood flow to the tissue, both outside and inside. Dilation, this just mechanical stretching of the tissue actually increases blood flow and can help the tissue heal. There are some options for CO2 lasers that are out, although the long-term effects of those aren't really known yet. And if all of that fails, then we start talking about some hormone therapy. Again, starting mostly with just vaginal or topical estrogen, if that's where the problem lies, or if it's more of a menopause symptoms that you're seeing hot flashes and things like that, then it's talking about systemic hormone therapy. And you, you mentioned a, a little bit about dilation and vibration. Can you speak a moment about any devices that you recommend? Yeah, there's actually several good devices. They come in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. It's important that patients get fitted for them or have a dilation set so that they have options. Because a lot of times that I find that patients who are using a dilator stop using it because perhaps they don't have the correct size and so it's causing pain. They should not be painful when used. There's a little bit of discomfort, but it should not be painful. The idea though is that we can see people increase size of the dilator with continued use about at least three times a week or so. And that seems to help quite a bit. I would say the number one problem I see is that people are not using the correct size and therefore they stop using it. Or I see a lot of people who get nervous because they have bleeding when they use a dilator or a vibrator and stop using it. And of course, if our gynecological cancer patients, any bleeding is of course a point of concern. So it's important for them to be checked by their provider, but oftentimes it's not necessarily that there's a recurrence of disease. It's that they just need to be refitted for a dilator. That's great. Let's go back for a second and talk about the, the vaginal estrogen. So you've tried a number of things, they don't work and you want to go to vaginal estrogen. Do you, you know, in light again of, of cancer, they've had cancer and so many people think of estrogen and cancer as just mutually exclusive for your GYN cancer patients, what if they say, oh my God, you want me to use estrogen? What do you say? So it's always a conversation, right? So I always talk to the patients about, this is the data we have. And thankfully we're to a point that we actually have good data on this, but it has to be something that the patients are comfortable with as well, because a lot of patients, you know, will talk in the office and if they don't feel like they really understand the risks, we'll get home and won't use it. So it has to be a conversation because they're the ones that would have to, you know, be concerned. All of our gynecological cancers have a risk of recurrence. And so they're the ones that have to be able to live with that risk. Now, of course, what we would offer them is extremely low risk and studies have shown for certain types of gynecological cancers, there's no risk, there's no significant risk at all. So for example, our endometrial cancer, the most common endometrial cancer is endometrioid. We usually catch that as an early stage, which is fantastic. That's majority of our gynecological cancer. And our early stage, stage one and two endometrial cancers absolutely can have vaginal estrogen. Our you know, most common high-grade serous ovary cancers can have vaginal estrogen. Our cervical cancers can have vaginal estrogen. Our vulvar vaginal cancers can have vaginal estrogen. 
So that is majority of what we see. So really, it's one of those things is anytime you have somebody with a gynecological cancer, their options and access to vaginal estrogen therapy should not be ruled out just because they have a history of cancer. Now, there's always exceptions, Mm -hmm. of course. Uh, Can you tell us which of those cancers would be a, I'm sorry, we can't give you this estrogen? So the ones that we would pause for and really risk or weigh the risks and the benefits would be the cancers that tend to be hormonally receptive. So advanced endometrial cancers, stages three and four. We also see that the endometrial stromal sarcomas and uterine leiomyosarcomas, we would pause on that and definitely try a non-hormonal option. Ovarian cancer, the endometrioid type of ovarian cancer or low-grade ovarian cancer, those tend to be hormonally receptive. And so we would stay away from the, from vaginal estrogen with those. That's great. I, I always think in terms, you know, somebody has been through all these treatments and we're kind of nursing them back to some good health and kind of change the, the vaginal tissues. But, you know, I think mentally so many times people just feel like they're never going to get back to the sexual function they had prior to surgery. What do you, how do you address that? So that's one of the things that's frustrating to me most is, you know, if people have been told that, you know, it's just, this is how they have to live, or if they realize that they don't, or they feel that they don't have options, because I think that there's room for improvement hundred percent of the time. I think sometimes we have to reframe a little bit that we can't promise that you will be back hundred percent how you were before, but we certainly have options to improve pain, improve desire, improve tissue health, improve libido. Sometimes it takes conversations with patients about creativity, about maybe redefining what a satisfying sexual encounter means to them and redefining how we can create meaning Uh, with maybe a a little bit of different avenues, but there is always room for improvement. We now have lots of options to be able to help people, which is tremendous. Does the use, we've we've talked in in other podcasts about psychologists helping, pelvic floor therapists helping, and the like, and medications. Do you incorporate these treatments as well in these patients? Yeah, so for all of our sexual health patients, it's important to to do this as kind of a full person approach. I have never found that it works, that usually this is just a one, one route kind of solution. So all of our patients, we evaluate for pelvic floor therapy. I think that's tremendously helpful. We evaluate for hormone therapy, moisturizers, counseling. We have counselors here in the area that we connect with because sexual health counseling is extremely important. I find that it's really hard for people who've been suffering with pain with intercourse for many years for us to be able to overcome that pain without some sort of counseling because people have kind of put themselves in a cycle where they expect pain. So that is tremendously helpful. And I think it's really important that we address all of these things kind of simultaneously in order to see the maximum benefit. That's great. You guys just help people so much. What I'd love to know if if you have any, uh, you know, pearls that you would uh, uh, throw out to uh, a learner or or somebody seeking a better quality of life. What, What are the big things that you've just learned being in this now for a while? 
The number one thing is you have to ask. Uh, over and over, we see that women are hesitant to share their sexual difficulties with providers. They downplay it. They don't think that it's necessarily important. I think it is our job and our responsibility to ask. We have to ask. I think that if you're not comfortable treating it, then just team up with somebody who can, that you can put in a referral. I think that you have to emphasize to patients that this is important. This is an important part of life and that we open those conversations to have us continuously with visits. It should be part of every visit. A simple question is, you know, how is your sexual life going? Are you satisfied? Are you having any problems? And that just at least allows patients to know that the conversation is something that you are willing to have with them and that it's something of value that you place importance on. So honestly, none of this matters if we don't ask because we won't know. It's great. But I think that this has you know, been a great discussion, again, for people specifically with gynecologic surgery issues and things that are available to them for to help them to, to enjoy a normal sexual life. Any, any last shots that you want to leave us with for the day? I just want to say that I am thrilled that we are coming a long way in the gynecology oncology world as far as how we can help people from a cancer standpoint. And I just want to emphasize the importance of quality of life issues needed to, to advance as quickly as uh, cancer treatment does, that we really cannot do one without the other. These are whole people. And I tell my patients all the time, we're not doing this just so you can live after cancer. We're doing this so you can have a life after cancer. And this is definitely one of, one of those issues. Well, Natalie, thanks for again for taking time today with us on this podcast. We really appreciate your input. Thank you. Thank you for joining our discussion on sexual pain and gynecologic surgery. Please see our show notes for an outline of the discussion as well as an article that covers our topic in greater detail. Dr. Walkup's office number is also included for those interested in seeing Dr. Walkup. Thank you.